why don't we just start off, Jay, I guess you can add to what you've already shared, but I'll have all of you answer this question, how you got involved with the work in Japan, specifically also with mustard seed. And I know you've kind of shared your story already, but maybe, Jay, you can tell us the first time, the very first time you thought of Japan as a place where you could live. Uh, I think the very first time where I thought of Japan as a place to live was when Mike said, hey, we should live in Japan. Um, <laughs> so it's his fault. It's yeah, Mike's fault. Yeah, mm-hmm. I defer the rest of my time to Mike. No, um, yeah, I shared yesterday at the at the lunch how I, I was recruited to unreached urban church planting uh, by Nick Parsons and Mike. And um, at that point, what Nick asked was, hey, you want to go start a church in Bangkok, Thailand? Sure, that sounds great. Um, when we started to talk about unreached, um, we said, well, if we really want to do unreached, at that time, Japan was the largest unreached people group. Now it's number two because population going down, Bangladesh's population going up. No. So uh, that's really unreached. If we really want to do urban, we have three huge cities, of Tokyo, Osaka, and Nagoya, uh, all in the top 20 largest cities list. Um, we should go there. And that became the, the, the discussion. So that was really just kind of how the team vision morphed and moved. So it wasn't any kind of, you know, I, I meet other foreigners over there and they kind of assume that I'll have like a fascination with Japanese media or something like anime and stuff. And <laughs> I'm not, I'm not into that. Um, and so I just am, you know, have started an interest in Japan once I decided we would move there and live there because it had a huge need. Very good. All right, Mike. Yeah, Jay touched on it that really the vision was for church planning in an environment where there's a lot of people and not a lot of Christians. And so Nick and I put together a a list of the world's cities that were over a million people, less than 10% Christian, and you could legally, openly plant a church. There's a huge need for places where you kind of have to go in under some other platform, but for us, we just felt a burden to go somewhere where we could just start a church. And so uh, going into that exercise, we hadn't thought of Japan. I mean, I had a a layover and a flight to Thailand in Japan. Other than that, no real connection there. Um, And so it really was a surprising thing to, to come to realize that three major world cities within very close distance to each other, it only takes a few hours to go through all three of those metro areas on a train, uh, that there there are 70, 80 million people between those cities and less than 1% Christian and can legally, openly plant a church. You can, you can get a religious worker visa. You can advertise. You can do all those things without having to worry about getting arrested. Um, this seems to perfectly fit the burden we have to go where there's lots of people and not a lot of Christians. And so the, the, the real focus in those days, church planning-wise, domestically in America, was for projection growth areas, suburbs that were expanding, start a church there, be at the ground level as a community's growing. We thought, that's great. What about the places where we already know there's lots of people? We don't have to guess. And we just know that there's not a lot of Christians. And so it took a while for me to be open to planning, to planning a church outside of America. I mean, I was just thinking San Francisco or somewhere like that, less churched. Um, but Bangkok was on our radar. And then, but then the idea of three, church, three cities in close proximity where you could maybe hopefully start more than one church and have some synergy from being near each other, um, that was the idea. And so... Um, that's what we talked to Jay and some other folks about doing. Great. So the two of you have actually lived in Japan, right, and planted church and done that kind of work. Uh, Matt, Chris, and myself, we've never lived in Japan more than three months, I guess you were there for an extended period of time. Uh, But yet we are very involved in the work with Mustard Seed and and in Japan. So Matt, why don't you first of all talk through that involvement and how you became a part of the work there. First time I became aware of uh, mustard seed was I think it was '05 or '06 at what is now called ICOM, the Missionary Convention. Uh, walking through the lobby, 
And a buddy of mine said, hey, here's a couple guys I went to college with. Their names are Mike and Nick. And they're going to go start this church planning organization in Japan. And if I'm completely honest, which I'm required to be by faith and law and all these other things, I was like, they're like 22 years old. Like, like, good luck with that. And never really thought anything of it. uh, And then began to follow it, began to cross paths with folks that had been there. My involvement really began about three years ago when I joined the staff at Christ Church. Uh, I was required to be connected to it because we supported some folks that were a part of it. And so, uh, but my first trip uh, on staff was with our lead guy, Mark, and I flew over to Japan uh, in February that year and got connected. And so that's where it really began, uh, was just getting connected with Jay and Ethan and uh, the work that was all happening there in Osaka originally. And then in the last three years, as our church has begun to leverage as much influence as we can and as much of our mission's emphasis into the work in Japan, then that, that's just continued to grow and escalate to the point where it is today. So, Chris? Yeah, the, uh, my connection goes back quite a ways, really, to the beginnings of it and the privilege of walking with my brothers and sisters through what they've been doing there in Japan. Part of what immediately appealed to me on this, besides the issue of, you know, the vision and heart for seeing the gospel planted in a place where it hasn't been, uh, was a connect, kind of an emotional connection back to my own story of when I was a student here and toward the end of my time here and, and a, a team that came together, uh, to go work in Chile in South America doing urban church planting and in the, among the urbanized poor of, of, of Santiago, especially, and throughout the country. But it, we were young. I, geez, I was so young. Uh, I think I was 21 or 2. And uh, we didn't know what we were doing, kind of like you're saying, Matt. It's just like, okay, here we go. But uh, um, I, it's been a blessing to me to be kind of the older guy walking alongside Mike and Nick and Jay and and their wives as well. Carol has gone with me multiple times now to Japan and has been a blessing, I think, to the wives as well and and to the families and going through all the processes you go through living cross-culturally, especially in a place like that. But uh, we've just been truly blessed by that that privilege. Yeah, Only Mike and I have lived in Japan technically, but I, I, I think Chris has probably actually lived there for over a year now. <laughs> With, With all the thirteen all trips the or so yeah. combined, yeah. So, so he's he's an honored resident there. And, That's and a, yeah. I hope it's okay, but Jay is actually trying to recruit Chris to missions. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and answer my own question just this one time, and then we'll get to the questions that have been sent. You can in, answer as many questions as you want. That's true. Have. I'm in charge up here, so um, even, even though I'm not president still, I've. <laughs> given that up. <laughs> um, so my involvement actually was through our global outreach team at, at Carterville Christian Church. We as a team uh, 10 or so years ago were praying for God to give us some clarity of focus. God, what do you want us to focus on in terms of our financial investment, our relational investment? And uh, the thing that came to us and we feel like God led us in is planting churches, being a part of planting churches among unreached people groups. That was our first focus. And our second focus was partnering with individuals and organizations who were loving and serving the global poor. So those became our two focal points. So that first one, uh, God, we want to partner with individuals and organizations that are planting churches among unreached people groups. And then not long after that, Nick Parsons came and did a presentation uh, for our church talking about the work of Mustard Seed at that time, Global Fellowship, it was called. And we were... That just sparked our imagination. We were very excited about what was presented, and he obviously talked about the ongoing work in Japan. And so after he was done, we as a team prayed together and just had discussion, and we thought, boy, this is something we want to be a part of and that we want to support. And we said, wouldn't it be great if we could send somebody among us, like one of our own, if we could send them to Japan? So that would be wonderful. If someday the Lord would raise up somebody from our fellowship, from our church, that we could financially and relationally support in this work. God, someday, if you would answer that prayer. And then the next week, Cassidy Sigers, who's the daughter of our senior minister, uh, came to me and said, you know, I think I want to be that person. And so we connected her with uh, Jay, and she was, I guess, the first children's worker 
Yeah, she established the the children's program yeah. at the new church in Osaka. Worked there for over two years and, and so got it going. Yeah, literally from that moment of prayer, I think within days she came forward and said, "I, I want to go. I, I'd like to do that." And then she raised her money within months, I believe. And we sent her to Osaka to be a part of the church plant. And that was our initial investment and partnership. And uh, since then, have met, taken many trips to Japan and uh, serve on the management. I serve on the management team for Osaka and also the management team for Mustard Seed Network. We have, the, we have three board members of Mustard Seed Network yeah. right here. So we're, let's, we're going to have a meeting right now and right. talk about Jay's ready for salary. Budget let's talk about Jay's salary today. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Make some decisions. All right. We've got lots of great questions here. It's blowing up. Um, I'm going to try to categorize uh, some of these as best as I can on, on the fly. But um, one of the themes of the questions are the blessings and the challenges of new church work and cross-cultural uh, ministry. Um, so what so several of the questions have something to do with what are, what are some of the, the coolest moments that you've had on the field? Um, what have been some of the blessings, some of those, uh, st- those stories that uh, have really reinforced your decision to be a part of global evangelism? And then if, even if we want to focus it on, in on our involvement in Japan, um, what are some of those moments that have really um, encouraged you along the way? So let anybody jump in on that question. <laughs> Well, maybe some of this is is repeat of things Jay said. Jay said, but uh, you know the the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that has literally never heard about Jesus, a verse of the Bible, they've never had a Christian friend, to me is really thrilling. And I think Jay said some important things yesterday at lunch that that's not for everybody. That's not everybody's calling. But for me personally, and I think a lot of us who've been involved with this. The idea that I'm not needing to deconstruct all bunch of baggage about, you know, you might think this about Christianity, or you've known a lot of hypocrites in the church, but to actually share with somebody that's never heard before um, is is amazing. And I think a lot of people are surprised that, that a lot of folks in Japan wouldn't have heard of Jesus in Christianity because it's a modern country, technologically advanced, they have the internet, they have TV, but... Um, but your average person hasn't necessarily investigated those things. And I, I often, you know, just turn the tables, on, you know, when I'm thinking about that. Well, how much did I know about Shintoism before moving there? I had maybe heard of it. It's their indigenous religion. Um, but I'd maybe seen a, the little gates, the spirit gates that they have, very common site in Japan, the red gate thing. Uh, but I didn't know its meaning or significance. Well, they've seen crosses but they don't know its meaning or significance. So to get to help somebody learn about God, the God who made them, the God who cares about them, the God that they've sinned against, um, but the God that has provided uh, a means of, of grace and reconciliation for them, that's, that's thrilling. And in terms of beyond the, the personal evangelism side of things, even the, the structural side of things, that there's all kinds of room for creativity and innovation because there's no pre-existing ideas about things. And I think you've got to check your heart, you know, and to make sure you're not just, I don't want to have to deal with rules or <laughs> confining things. But I think there's a place for a godly entrepreneurial spirit um, that, to say, well, it's a wide open playing field we can try to figure it out and i really enjoyed trying to figure out how to do church in a place where people have never gone to church yeah great yeah i would say i would say also the along with that that um when i come back from japan i feel like i've been to a very large untended field that in little corners of it little small corners but yet very much there people have been working and cultivating and planting and sowing but largely speaking, Japan's like an untended, culti- uncultivated field that if the work will be done, the harvest will come. Um, and it presents itself that way in a marvelous way. I remember walking along with Seth uh, Philip on some of his early days there in Osaka and him saying to me, Chris, he said, 
I get to share Jesus with somebody that's never heard like every day. He said, he said, what's better than that? And, uh, and I thought, oh my goodness, that, that is really encouraging. And then to see Jay putting the links up here on the board from one generation of Christian to another to another, you know, when you get to fourth generation Christians and it's out of control, it's like, then it, it kind of goes viral. And that's always the goal of getting to the fourth generation. So it's not, it doesn't depend on the missionaries. The missionaries are the seed sowers in the beginning, but the, the true growth comes when it's coming from the Japanese heart to the Japanese heart. And it's beautiful to see that. Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and direct your question a little bit, kind of answer just the blessings and encouragement of being a part of the work. But from the perspective of a sending church, a supporting church, as a key leader and, and seeing that happen, how, how's that been a blessing to you and what encouragement have you found in it? I think the first thing that came to mind for me was one of the things that I love about Christchurch that we'll do on Sunday mornings is we'll celebrate baptisms mm-hmm. uh, and we'll celebrate those not just for things that happen on our campus or within our own community, but for our different mission partners. Uh, when I first got there and kind of began to talk with the staff. And so on the Sundays that we throw up a couple of photos from Japan and our folks can celebrate that and it's a kingdom win. It has nothing to do with us as a specific church, but it's a kingdom win for us. That's a really, really exciting thing. I think even for our churches, they become more aware of what's happening in Japan and especially uh, the brand new plant in Kyoto and have already had its first baptism uh, the more and more folks that start to connect with that, that immediately the gospel's taking root. I think that's, for us, one of the really exciting things. I think another one for us, uh, we had the opportunity to have Yuma, who's one of the guys that uh, Jay and others in Osaka have invested and begun to raise up uh, and have some real dreams. And he's accepted this challenge to go into ministry and step away from a quote-unquote normal career to to begin to do church work. And so, you, you know, you talk about third, fourth generation believers when you also begin to see Japanese men and women stepping up and rising up into ministry. That's uh, like the missions geek in me likes that. Uh, but then for us to stand in front of our church and be able to say, here's a guy that's been discipled because of another guy. And you start to trace that lineage and we begin to understand we're all here because of that same thing. But now that's beginning to happen in another country as well, which means the gospel's beginning to take root. And there is fruit that's coming from that. And here's a guy that's going to be a church leader. And we can invest in this and we can encourage him and equip him to do that. For us, those are those things. You know, I came in three years ago. And so uh, a lot of that hard, hard, hard work uh, had been going on for a long time. And I don't know who gets credit for this one. But they always say behind every overnight success is 10 years of hard work. Mm -hmm. And these guys did that. For a long, long time, and, and it's fun now to start to see things happen, to see baptisms occur more frequently, and to see churches multiplying, and all of those things for us as a supporting church to suddenly go, hey, this dream, this vision that God put on some crazy college guy's hearts a long time ago, like, he was in it, and he was ahead of it, and he's in the midst of it, and he answers all these, all of those things are just deeply encouraging for me, but I know for our church to be able to see that, and in the same thing that you said, Damien, to have those from our community that don't just say, I agree, but I'm going to put effort towards that and go and serve. For us, that's just a rich blessing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and turn it around here. And Jay, I'll let you lead this off. There's also a strand of questions just asking the challenges, the difficulties, the language barrier, how to overcome that language barrier. So several questions uh, in that area. In fact, here, here's one in, in particular. Describe the hardest moment or season you've had doing missionary work. And invite all of, all of you to answer, but I'll let you kind of leave that off. But before you do, um, there's a whole bunch of questions for you, Jay. Like, how long have you been in Japan? What, go ahead and answer. Let's get these out I of the way. I have been in Japan for 10 years. Yeah, and your favorite color is? My favorite color is green. And your beard. Talk about your beard. Uh, my beard it grows out of my face every okay. day. <laughs> I don't know why. There's a fascination with it. So we're sweeping the floor. We're kind of getting those things out of the way. Now, tell us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is a, there's a lot of good beards. beards on this stage. Yeah. It's been duly noted. <laughs> Our beards required to do global evangelism. <laughs> Challenges. Challenges. Some of oh yes. Um, yeah, I mean, we. I, I hit on some of them. Uh, language school is like an 
an, like an unavoidable challenge. There's other cha- challenges that are going to be, you know, just depending on your circumstance that are going to come your way. But everyone, everyone walks in both eyes wide open to language school. Like you, you walk into that one. There's other things that, that are hard that happen. Um, like I mentioned, just different, different health issues that we've had, um, uh, when we were first there where we couldn't speak Japanese and it was, it was very difficult, um, to try to get good answers about what was happening with, 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 with my wife when, um, uh, when we thought we were going to lose a baby. Um, and, and, and we did not, but the, the, the stress to say, I don't know what this doctor's saying. Um, uh, that that kind of thing uh, is hard, and then we've we've continued to have uh, different things. It's been interesting, and you know, if someone wants to help me understand spiritual warfare better, <laughs> um, almost every single Easter and Christmas, we've had someone get very ill um, right beforehand, um, or or something happen. Uh, I've had I've had kids in the hospital on 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 two occasions where it was at a huge outreach event. Um, and so it's one of these like, is, is, is Satan able to do this? Can, you know, uh, can, can he put kids in the hospital for asthma? I mean, how, how does this happen? Um, so there's been a lot of things like that. Um, and there's things you never anticipate, uh, you know, going over to Japan. I never thought that I would do my teammates, uh, baby's funeral on the beach in Japan. It's not something you think that, you know, about as I'm moving to Japan and one day I will stand on a beach with Japan and you'll scatter ashes into the sea. Um, these are hard things that you don't anticipate. Um, and yet you're going to find um, scripture for all of it. You know, if you want, if you want comfort for death and resurrection, you got a lot of it in the Bible. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different things. By far, the hardest experience in Japan is um, the the fruit that you celebrate um, when that then goes poorly. So once again, stuff you don't put in your in your newsletter. So I'm just being very honest with you. <laughs> you know, um, uh, person you bab- you know person we baptize leaves the church. We don't you know um, we, we don't we don't often like talk about that. Um, but this these were things that if you read the New Testament, you're going to see it, and it and it's just it's just real, um, and it feels extra. You know, catastrophic um, in Japan because when they leave your church, you're, you you think they're probably not going to the next one. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting, but another thing that, you know, we haven't told many people is we just celebrated our 100th baptism, but the, the, the thing is, as we were counting people, we, we moved that number down a few times uh, as we had people uh, come to faith and then say explicitly, I don't believe anymore, and I'm done. Like, oh. Um, so we've actually had more people go underwater <laughs> than 100, but we don't count all of them. Because it's not fruit that lasted, um, and so these are things that you don't think about when, you know, when you're when you're starting a church and you say, "I came to reach you." I moved across the world and I learned your language to reach you, and then I shared the gospel with you, and I baptized you, and now you are stabbing me in the back and trying to split the church because that happened. Um, because somewhere your your you know your wife went to uh, a hyper-charismatic conference and now you're convinced and telling the rest of the church that Jay doesn't have the Holy Spirit if he doesn't speak in tongues. These are just real stories. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is really, really hard. And you have to be very convinced of what you believe and what you find in Scripture. And you find a lot of comfort when you see uh, Paul wrestling with the same things. Or when you say, I can't believe they said that about me. Lord, they called you demon-possessed. <laughs> okay, I guess I can deal with this. I guess you know how to deal with this. So, um, yeah, I don't know how to bounce back from that answer. Well, That's pretty no, heavy. It's a, it's a um, perfect transition to the next good. question, the next set of questions, which deal a lot with calling and what's my role in this. And so I think it's important to define the reality to understand the difficulties so that there is this level of conviction going into the work. And so a lot of questions, what, where does a social justice worker fit into Japan? What about youth ministry work? What if I'm a single woman? Is it safe for me to go? That's one of the questions. Is there a place for me? And I'd love to hear all of you kind of answer that question as you think about 
our students and the work in Japan and the sense of calling, uh, the conviction that has to come with that, what can we say to them in terms of how they can fit into that work? Can I jump on just the social justice thing real quick? Uh, because of how, how much I emphasized evangelism and talked about gospel roots and then gospel fruit. It's important for me to also try to say um, that as we have then uh, planted the gospel and people come to believe, uh, our church has been involved in a lot of different social justice initiatives um, involving adoption, um, and caring for poor kids. Uh, we set aside 10% of everything that comes in uh, for social justice in Osaka um, and in Japan. And 10% uh, for church planting and 10% for social justice. And for a brand new church plant, that, that, that's a big investment. So it is something that we care uh, very deeply about, but we see it as a result of the gospel and a result of making disciples. So there's a lot of room for it, especially... Um, especially uh, as regards uh, orphans and orphan care. So there's my word that I stole from your introduction. There's a lot of other pieces to it. Yeah, great. All right, Mike. Um, This is such a big, important topic of sensing and discerning calling. I think biblically we see there's lots of ways that people end up in particular modes of service for God to God and for the benefit of people. And so I try to avoid saying, don't do it unless fill in the blank. I think there's lots of ways people end up having fruitful, lasting ministries, and they end up in those ways, those situations very differently from one another. And I do think sometimes... Uh, international work gets put in its own category. Jay touched on this yesterday at the lunch, where it's like, I can use wise thinking, wise counsel, responding to needs if I'm going to go up the road and be a youth minister, but if it's international, then I need a burning bush because it's across a border. Um, And if I were to go without that, that would be wrong. Um, I think sometimes people accidentally get that message. I don't know that anybody intends it to come across that way. But in effort to be seeking God's will, I think sometimes people accidentally put criteria out there for international work that would never apply domestically. And so I think Jay shared some yesterday that's very helpful to think about. Is there a need that I can meet? Is there an ability I have do I feel like doing this? Um, those those three questions, uh, I think, are a real helpful start to say, should I go down this road? And for us, need was a, a significant criterion to say there's a huge need. Can I? So rather than arguing myself into going, how do I argue myself out of going to meet that crisis level need? We lived in Japan. All of us were were there together when the big uh, earthquake tsunami happened. You know, biggest earthquake recorded in Japan. 30,000 people died. And so it's a a striking moment. Um, But I remember preaching the Sunday after that thinking 30,000 people have died in other ways since the tsunami. Cancer, suicide old age. And some of those people were born in Japan, lived in some cases a hundred years. People live a long time there and died without ever hearing the gospel. That's a crisis too. That's a, that's a tragedy. That's a present tense ongoing crisis. And so if I were up close and personal with a crisis, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need a burning bush to tell me to do something to help that situation. If Matt started choking on his gum, I wouldn't say, well, let me pray about that. You know, I, I would just think of health class and Heimlich maneuver. And I would do, try to do something. And so there's a part of me that thinks, try to do something. Uh, go till you get a no. I mean, sometimes Paul tried to go in Asia and the Holy Spirit stopped him. The Holy Spirit can stop you if it's unwise. And sometimes that is a painful experience. For someone to say, I don't think this is for you, or I don't think you're ready, or I don't think your gifts mix with that. 
But try. Give it a try. Try to go down that road. Um, as opposed to sort of passively waiting. Um, and so, uh, so for us, that was always a big part of the heartbeat of the ministries, responding to a need. And so there's a place for Myers-Briggs temperament analysis and aograms and colors and spiritual gifts tests and uh, demographic studies to see if, you know, cultural analysis to see if it's a compatibility. But there's also a need to meet. And so letting that drive us. And so um, if I could say just a thing about the challenge real quick too, um, for me the most spiritually grueling aspect of living there was feeling incompetent. Um, We spend a lot of time here on campus becoming competent, learning all kinds of knowledge, uh, learning skills to feel capable to learn how to communicate, and then all that gets stripped away. Whatever knowledge you have is inaccessible because of the language barrier. Um, You feel like a child in terms of your ability to communicate to others. And that's incredibly humbling and grueling. And for someone like me at that point in life who may have had uh, a certain idolatry related to competency, it was um, very refining. I don't claim to have, um, you know, totally destroyed all those idols, but I'm grateful that God used those experiences to to refine me in that way. And I think sometimes uh, folks can look at missionaries and feel like they're on a different plane spiritually. Um, I think in some cases, what you're experience, what you're observing, is that that crucible. Experience. It's not that they ended up in that because they're more spiritual, but there's some things that can happen when you put yourself out there to depend on God that just, that do bring you closer. And so I wouldn't necessarily say it's, a, it's a, an appropriate motive to go into cross-cultural church planning to, uh, as a spiritual discipline, but it is a spiritual discipline. It's going to strip away some of those idols. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention the. I look at Jay and think about the times I've arrived there at specific times when they were in crisis mode. That we, I didn't even know. You know, I never planned it that way. But it's like, oh no, Chris is coming. <laughs> that means something. Something's about to happen. Welcome to Japan. Solve our problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh, I think sometimes team dynamics can really be a challenge uh, on the field and figuring that out and hashing that out together. Um, in a sense, when you go to a new work, it's like you get in a lifeboat and you're moving away from the ship toward the shore. And so a lot of focus is on the dynamics within the team. But when you get to the shore, then you're there for the people that are on on the island or on the on the land. You're there to serve them. And you have to figure out what that looks like and what that means. Um, those can be good challenges, but they can be very taxing as well. Uh, and I saw that reflected again going back to our experience in Chile. We had we had a great team and, and were able to see some good things happen, some wonderful things happen. And we had awful experiences all at the same time uh, with teammates and with, with people who walked away from their faith and all of that. And that's all part of the milieu of what it means uh, to be in. It's like the... Like Dickens, you know, the best of times, the worst of times, that's how it always is. And uh, it's in that dynamic and that vortex that God grows you and, and works with you. I want to address real quickly, though, you mentioned safety. Um, in Japan, uh, especially when it comes to, like, leaving your billfold on a table or something stupid like that, not that I've ever done that, but uh, it's a place where Carol and I left... Uh, left my bag with my computer, both of my computers in it, on the subway in Nagoya, and we get off at the station, I go, oh, no, Andy, and Andy looks at me, what, and I left my, you know, I said, it's gone, and it goes, no, no, it'll be at the other end of the line, and all we have to do is go down there and wait for it, and we went, so we called ahead, and they said, no, they didn't clean the train, it's going to the other end of the other line, go there, and so we go there, and I'm going, this is ridiculous, there's no way you're going to come up with my laptop, my iPad, and so forth. I said, no, no, I assure you, because I've gotten calls from the police station where they've told me, Mr. Rodriguez, when are you going to come and claim your billfold with your credit cards in it because we're tired of holding it here for you because <laughs> he'd left it somewhere. Um, safety-wise, Japan is 
especially for an old dude, uh, it's a good place to be. So there's no worries on that. Matt, I'm going to let you answer this, kind of continue the question. So a college student, junior, senior, they're thinking about graduation, they're a youth ministry major, they're a single woman since that was asked, they're a biblical justice major, maybe they have taken church planning classes, maybe they haven't, so they may have the skills, quote unquote, they may not, and they say to you, I want to go to Japan. Like, I've been stirred by what I've heard this week. Will you support me? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) So whether you do or don't, we'll put that aside. Is there a place for that student, for that person, for that... Maybe they're married, maybe they're single. What's your encouragement to them? Absolutely, there's a place. I mean, it's easier for me to say that than it is for Jay living there who actually has to work with them and find a place for them and place them and get them on a team and all those types of things. Uh, One of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was the first time I traveled internationally. Uh, I traveled with a missionary pilot, and I was a young college kid, and I was trying to figure out, you know, like, what's God's will? What am I going to do with my life? What should I be? He just made this really simple statement that has always stuck with me, and he just said, I can't steer a plane that isn't moving. And so he said, sometimes it's just putting one foot in front of the other. I think that's, Mike, what you were saying. It's starting some momentum and trusting that God will direct paths. And sometimes closed doors are as good as open ones to help us understand where we need to go. So when I think about uh, you and if you should go and if Japan stirs your heart and you feel like you ought to be there, uh, my least concerning question is whether or not we'll support you, the church will support you, or you'll get the money because God's going to provide what he's going to do to in order for that that type of thing to happen i think uh jay had some good wisdom at lunch yesterday of just saying if you're not doing something now don't think you'll go do it when you go over there and so look at who you are what god's wired you to do gifted you to do have a conversation and have the humility and uh the the faith to say here's what i feel like god's wired me to do is there a place for that does this make sense can i you're gonna have to be teachable you're gonna have to especially in that kind of an environment rely on a team uh these guys you know jay looks really tough and brave and all of these things and he is trust me i've seen it in action uh but but he relies on a team and that team sometimes is all they've got especially in the early years i can imagine this was all they really had um and so i think you're just gonna have to have some humility to to be able to lean into that to trust that to discern that to look at that to walk through some things and go my heart beats for the japanese people uh, and if it does, and if you feel called to ministry, that may still not mean that you end up in Japan. It just might mean you need to be a supporter of the work in Japan because they need those folks as well. They need folks that are praying here passionately and consistently for the work there. And that might be the best thing you could do. No offense. That might be the best thing you could do is simply to pray and not actually to go. So, Great. Well, we have about eight minutes left. Not about exactly eight minutes left. Um, so there's several questions uh, regarding presenting the gospel in Japan, the differences between presenting the gospel in our context here versus in the Japanese culture. Um, so I'm going to ask for some short, concise answers to this question. And all of you feel free to, to chime in, but what, what is, what's something distinct? What can we learn about the gospel in yeah. as it relates to the distinctions of presentation, our culture and the Japanese culture. Jay and I both agree you have to start with monotheism, mm-hmm. uh, which seems strange uh, in our context, but you can't assume that what comes to someone's mind when you say God is singular, even linguistically, singular and plural is ambiguous in Japanese language, and their background assumes polytheism. And so starting with a single personal creator God is is pretty important to get a baseline um and jay jay mentioned it in passing yesterday that sometimes the honor shame thing maybe it seems very exotic um but there's there is a little bit maybe some cultural nuance to helping people understand their guilt before god their need for forgiveness in relational terms towards god um the reconciliation motif in scripture i think resonates deeply there because of that so it's not a it's not an obstacle. In fact, maybe it's even an opportunity 
um, to make sense of that motif that's very present in Scripture because we're at odds with God. Yeah, it's um, not only that there is one God, but kind of what, what Mike is saying about who God is. I think the first thing that everyone has to understand in Japan is that your concept of God is much bigger than you thought. Um, and so coming to understand that... Uh, like, like I don't anybody like Pokemon. Anybody played the Pokemon Go thing? I mean, I know it was like popular like a year ago or something. And now no one does it. But you guys know what the the, the Pokemon monsters are called? They're called Kami. Uh, that's the word for God in in Japanese. Um, and that and so in the in Shintoism, there's a bunch of different goofy gods that are playing tricks on you and hiding in the woods and gonna, you know, whatever. Um, and they take a bunch of different forms. If you've seen it, there's a movie called Spirited Away by a guy named Miyazaki. Uh, uh, the Ghibli movies, if you've seen these kinds of things, they depict all the Japanese gods and the understanding of God. And they're very small and they're weak and they're, and they're flawed. And so to then come and try to say, there's one God, um, he's good all the time, always existed, made everything, you know, all these big things where the, the God we're talking about, your concept of God is much bigger than whatever you currently have in your mind. Um, that becomes the other, the other thing. And yeah, then it's, then it's, you've sinned against this God that takes a little more, um, convincing, uh, the word sin in the Japanese language. Um, it, it, it's, it's similar linguistically to the word for crime, and so you say, well, uh, you've sinned against God. And they say, oh, no, 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 I've actually, I'm not a criminal. I've never committed a crime. Okay, <clears throat> you don't understand. Like, things that are not Japanese laws could still be breaking God's law. It's okay in Japan to look at pornography. God doesn't think it's okay. So you've, you've done things that God does not like. You've missed the mark. And uh, you've, you've fell short of his standard, which is different than the Japanese legal code. Th- those are some big, big barriers. Um, and then once people can understand that, then they understand there's a need. Um, and then you get to tell them about the remedy. And that's that's when you're really cooking with gas. Yeah. Matt, Chris, any, and we can even broaden it. There's a presentation of the gospel, but there's also the just ministry in general, distinctions that you've seen. I will say this from my observation and what I've heard and then what I've witnessed when I've been there. This is one of the things that I appreciate about what these guys have done and what Jay continues to do uh, as it relates to the gospel is not just simply make it a personal thing about them being restored back to God. And so what I've heard and what I've seen and what is evidenced, I think when you hear about multiple generations of believers, of people coming to Christ and then converting other people, is that they've never shied away from preaching the entire gospel. So not just, let's see if we can get a bunch of converts because that'll raise a bunch of money from churches and that'll feel really good. Let's not inflate our baptism numbers, but the whole time that we're doing that, we're going to call people to be evangelistic. The one I'm thinking specifically is we're going to call folks to be generous with their money, to tithe, to give, to do that from the beginning, not kind of build in faith. But to say this is what it means to be a Bible-believing person, to, to accept the gospel holistically in every aspect of life. Not let, just let's deal with your sin and then maybe someday if you're a super Christian, you'll tithe. But to say this is what the presentation is all along. For me, that's one of the things that we deeply appreciate as a church partnering with them is that that, that whole presentation is made the whole time. Yeah, Just observing, I mean, these guys know ten times more about the context than I do, but the consistency of, of gathering and hearing the Word and trusting the Spirit to speak to people. The Word does work a lot of times when we don't even know He's doing it. And uh, that the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's, you know, it, does, it does its work. And so uh, the consistent use of the Word of God, expositorily especially, is a very powerful medium for uh, effectiveness. All right, just a couple minutes. So, Jay, you're finishing us up, and then, Chris, you'll close us out in prayer and any final instructions. So these are rapid questions. Are you ready? All right. What did you major in when you were a student here at Ozark? I got a BBL, which is a Bachelor of Biblical Literature. It's a godly degree. Yeah, thank you. All right. Is that it? That's okay. it. You're looking for a major on top of that? Did you have a major or no? It was just... I'm going to say I got a BBL. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. All right. Uh, mustard seed. The name mustard seed. 
what oh yes that i would like from. to say that um jesus said the kingdom of god is like a mustard seed mm-hmm. which is different than saying mustard seed network is like a mustard seed because that's not actually what we mean at all the kingdom of god is like a mustard seed mm-hmm. and uh we like that and so um i mean mike and nick actually chose it but i like to make the clarifier that we don't see mustard seed network and the kingdom of god to be one and the same <laughs> gotcha all right the entire uh, kingdom <laughs> The physical location of the churches throughout your time. How did that come yes. about? I know that's probably a long story. Is Sports there... bar to dance studio mm-hmm. to a rented facility in Nagoya for us. We skipped the sports bar in Osaka. Then we, we just went straight to the dance studio to rented facility. Back to portable when we outgrew a rented facility. And our, our second portable location was a YMCA. And now we're back in another rented facility that we just pay monthly rent. 3,000 square foot um, space on one floor. Another 1,000 square feet for a couple uh, classrooms on the fourth floor. It's a walking distance to the fourth busiest station in the world. And so just finding, look, as the church grows, finding environments that will facilitate that, yeah. right? Will they let us right. be loud? Will they let us put a lot of people in there? Um, can we sit chairs down where people can then see us? And, <laughs> yeah. Can it be religious? Will they let us Will they let us do religious stuff there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there a place for women in ministry in Japan. Yeah, we've had um, lots of women come over and make a huge impact on our teams. Mm-hmm. Great. All right, last question for all four of you. The next step, if somebody is thinking, I want to do this, this is something I'm interested in, what's a concrete next step that they can Japan take? or like missions, missions? Yes. Missions. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, I could just answer, you know, for for us, I mean, Mustard Seed Network and maybe um, some others could answer for more broadly. But we, we have people apply, um, and it looks very, very normal. You know, there's a big application you fill out. We look it over. We then have interviews and talk to you and uh, bring you over and, and, and try to see whether or not uh, you're a fit with our team in the context. And... And if there's a place for you and kind of even a job opening, because even if we found a person who's a fit, we may not just we there's there's been times in the past where we didn't have the bandwidth or or position for them. All that sounds a lot like getting hired at a church in the States. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like that. All right. Mike, (laughs) next step. Well, it's been said, but whatever you want to do, start doing it. If you want to preach. Be preaching as often as somebody will let you. If you want to lead worship, do that. If you want to do relational evangelism, making, uh, get a language partner from Missouri Southern and lead them to Christ, as some people have done. Um, if you want to do administrative things, there's needs for that too. Be doing it. So be active, not passive with that. And uh, develop unshakable habits in your devotional life. Mm-hmm. Bible, prayer. Bible, prayer, more prayer, more Bible, habits. Good. Mike's answer is really good. So is Jay's. I would echo that. I would, uh, the only thing I would add is probably that you'd find two, three people, four people that you know that love you, that trust you, that would pray along with you as you discern this, that you wouldn't make this decision in a vacuum. Uh, it's one of the things that I'm always going to ask you if you come to us and say, hey, would you support this? Is Tell me what the people that love you and know you best, what they think about this decision. And be willing to submit to what they have to say to you. Yeah, I, I was going to say exactly what Matt said. They get a network of prayer. <laughs> the uh, Japan is an incredibly expensive place. And uh, so one of the immediate obstacles seems to be the money. And I help students and people come to me and say, you know, really well, I'd love to go serve here, but where am I, where am I going to get that? And I stop, stop, you know, <laughs> where are you going to get the money is not the question. Where are you going to get the prayer and the prayer network? And when you ask people to pray for you, you are making yourself vulnerable, which is the whole key to everything. You're willing to make yourself vulnerable. Like I'm considering something. I don't even know if this will work. You know, I don't know if I'm good and uh, you know i have what it is needed here or what not good enough but i have what is needed will you please pray for me pray about this with me and let's together seek the lord's will and he'll he'll let you know i have no doubt and uh, that's that's always a good thing to do yeah great 
I'll answer my own question on this one. I, when I was a student here and um, early in ministry, prayed a, a simple prayer, and I'd offer it to you all. I would say, God, give me a corner of the earth. Just give me a, a piece of real estate on the planet that I can invest in, care about, pray about, financially support. I'd love to visit it, perhaps, if you would make that opportunity available. And uh, God's always answered that prayer for me and for our family. Um, I started off in a country called Mozambique, Africa. was able to spend a lot of time there over the years. And he's kind of moved us into the direction of Japan. And so that might be a prayer that... Uh, you all can offer to the Lord as well. Just give me a piece of the planet. Give me a, a little little spot of real estate uh, that I can deeply invest in. And God, God will answer that prayer. Well, thank you all for incredible questions. I hope we were able to cover at least the scope of your questions uh, today. I'm going to ask Brother Dwell to uh, give us some closing instructions as well as a closing time of prayer for Jay and the work that's happening in Japan. Well, I just want to say thank you uh, to our brother Jay for coming all the way from Japan to be here with us. And uh, please extend your thankfulness to him by expressing that this now. And... Uh, Appreciate your participation today. This, we've had a really good participation, uh, especially during the voluntary sessions, and we're glad for uh, opportunities like this. Um, Mustard Seed is uh, interested in talking to people about who are serious about working in urban Japan uh, work, and so there are avenues to take to pursue with that with with us in the Intercultural Studies Department, and willing and more than willing and able to discuss that with you. And, but most of all, pray for them now that you have knowledge of what they do. Uh, you should pray that God will uh, do his work there, raise up workers for the harvest, and that there will be a, a good and fruitful harvest. So let's, let's pray that prayer right now as we close. Father God, we thank you this morning for uh, opportunities to see, as our brother Damien has expressed, uh, into a, a corner of your world and to uh, get a better idea of what that looks like. We're thankful, Lord, for what you are doing there and how you um, are bringing fruit uh, from the gospel seed that is being sown. And we're thankful, Lord, that that seed grows. Uh, our task is to sow it, and you do what you do. And, Lord, we're thankful for uh, faithful workers that are there right now serving you. We pray blessing for them. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would give them wisdom and grace in what they're doing and that you would give them opportunities uh, beyond what they even know for the, ex- the extension of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that... Um, You would speak to our hearts as to what this looks like for us. And we ask these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.